Welcome to Let's Talk About Treks, an episodic review of today's visions of the future featuring Earl Grey and Jack Dorino. This time Jack and Earl are talking about light and shadows, the seventh episode of Star Trek Discovery's second season. Now I can hear Elaine. I know, and she's on the other side of the door. Is that Elaine? That is Elaine, among the many house guests that I have staying here. Because there's, there's my partner and I. Oh, hey, listen. Uh, let's do this really quickly. Hi, hi, everyone. This is, uh, this is old, this is our old buddy Jack Dorino, uh, and I am joined as usual by our friend Earl Gray, the oh. Earl of Gray. <laughs> and uh, so, so we are working today under a, a series of constraints. Uh, I have, I have house guests um, who are just like, I don't know, just loud for no reason. Um, well, maybe not, not really not for no reason because they've they've all been dealing with what I'm about to explain right now, which is that our balconies in this building have been being worked on for like the last six months, so they've been like exceedingly loud. They actually like took our balcony down to rebar and reconcreted it because I guess you know the building's been here for so long. It's time to find time for the balconies to be redone just for safety purposes. Um, so they've been working on it for about six months. It's supposed to finish in March, but. Uh, so there was like jackhammering and stuff like all day long. It's just been super loud. Uh, you, we were recording a little bit after 5 p.m. It's about 5.20. Uh, so hopefully, well, usually, you know, they've been done at five. They stopped, you know, working. At, at times they were done at like three. Uh, it's been really like interfering with my work, uh, with my regular work. How's things going over on your uh, side of the river there, uh, Earl? Quiet, boring. Oh. <laughs> uh. Lucky I think we had a little bit of snow last night, but it was gone by the time the sun came out. Oh. I didn't get enough sleep last night, so I'm feeling rather drowsy. And ever since I got back from Florida uh, on the 30th of December, I've been feeling dizzy or lightheaded or something. Perhaps you have a mild case of the Rona. Like I said, I mean, I got back on the 30th of December, and today, as we're recording this, is the 25th of January, 2021. It supposedly only lasts about two weeks, so. Yeah. I mean, I guess if it were a mild case, it could last longer, but. Yeah, I think maybe I was just ripping you. So we're, we're actually here today to discuss Star Trek Discovery season two episode seven which is called light and shadows so this came yes. out this came out almost exactly a year ago from this recording uh it came out on february 28th of 2019 when the world was sunny and bright one thing that i kind of miss that this show doesn't give us is they don't do a title presentation at the beginning of the actual post teaser post credits you know but a, a title in there in the corner or you like know, in the original series right on the front is, of the screen yeah that's very interesting that they they don't unless you are getting the title from navigating uh the cbs all access app to get to the episode yeah there is yes. no mention of the title of the episode which yeah that's curious curious or unless curious, it's or? in the uh, credit Unless it's in the end credits somewhere, yeah, um, but more and more they they uh, they help you skip those because they assume that I don't want to read them. And it's like 
actually I do because I want to see who played these amazing guest actors or whatever, you know. You know, not only do I like to find who's playing like the specials of the week, I also like to see, you know, people's names represented on the screen because there are only a few actors that we see mentioned during the opening credits. There are about 20 producers whose names roll by on the screen. Uh-huh. Because I know we don't see Ronnie Rowe's name. I know yeah, we don't see Oyen Ola. Don't let me butcher her names. Uh, her name. We don't see uh, uh, Kayla Detmer's actor's name going. Like, so my point is, like, out of three or four actors we see, the people who we, the people who we associate as the bridge crew, we don't really see them represented as um, as they did during like the Next Generation or Deep Space Nine or Voyager, where we'd have. Yeah you know, this person as this guy, or this person as this guy, like, all the way through, which is a little cumbersome, but I'll, I'll accept it, you know? Can you hear all the excitement happening in my house? I, I hear stuff is going on. I could not right now distinguish individual conversations, no. To be able to hear that something is happening, but not being able to distinguish it reminds me of Let's Talk to Rye. Let's Talk to Rye? Let's Talk to, let's talk to Rye that Vulcan dyslexia that we've learned that uh, Spock has. It's uh, L apostrophe T-A-K space capital T-E-R-A-I. Let's talk to Rai. There's a huge thing that Discovery's been doing, which I really appreciate, which is uh, a lot of representation. They've been making sure they do a lot of representation. And they sort of unfold it slowly. And it is interesting to me that they decided to hone in on Spock having dyslexia um, as a measure of representation for people. Because a lot of people have dyslexia. Um, a lot of people have mild forms of dyslexia. And I think a lot of people have like undiagnosed dyslexia. I, I know of a few people who I've known in my life who like have, uh, I don't wanna say they have immediately difficulties with, with left and right, but like they have an exact opposite uh, innate understanding of left and right. Like if I say left, they immediately reach to the right. You know what I mean? So I don't know if that's uh-huh. uh, some form of dyslexia. Well, um, or just... I, I know that for me, as a kid, I always struggled with which was left and which was right until my grandma pointed out when you're looking at the backs of your hands, your index finger and thumb made the L on your left hand. And left, of course, starts with an L. And now to this day, every time I can instantly know which hand it is, but every time I still have to check for my L just like in the back of my head, I still count, okay, what's one plus one? One, two, it's two, <laughs> you know? I'm exaggerating to prove a point. So you'll have to take your hands off the wheel in order to determine which one is left and right while you're driving. No, I, I don't take my hands off the wheel. You know, I can kind of still look at, you know, just glance down at my hand to see where the L is. And, or just feel that I'm holding up the L out of, you know, just feeling the motion in my hand. But usually I'm doing it when I'm navigating for somebody in the passenger seat. So if I'm riding with my mom when I look in Florida and I tell her turn left here, I double check real secretly that I really do want to turn left and that the L is still there. <laughs> Got you. Um, there, you know, I gotta tell you, this uh, Memory Alpha has a wealth of information 
Um, this is memory-alpha.fandom.com. It always has like a huge wealth of information on whatever the episode. Uh, I, I almost am pressed to believe that their the description of the episode uh, is is way, well, number one, it's way more complete than the Wikipedia version. And I'm going to highly recommend to anyone, if you really want to like delve deep into these episodes, check out Memory Alpha. Um, it's been around forever. It's sort of changed its location. It didn't used to be on fandom.com. It used to actually just be like memoryalpha.com. And there's actually there's actually a memory beta as well. And that memory beta applies to, you know, non-canon stuff, which which I believe includes like, uh, you know. Yeah, not, what they call soft canon or book canon. Yeah, also uh, sometimes it includes uh, fan fiction stuff. So yeah, there there's also a memory gamma and delta. And I think it's gamma that does fan fiction and it might be memory delta that does the role play universe fiction for like all the online nova style role play oh interesting so there is a novel uh an original series novel called memory prime and that memory prime mentions uh an archive library that was created specifically for the study and catalog of data regarding the formations and evolutions of stars and planets in the galaxy and uh that is called memory delta um and memory gamma mm -hmm. is a dedicated uh, computer network that's controlled from memory prime. I say that to say these are mm -hmm. you know, concepts that were that actually exist in the Star Trek universe, but we've sort of like bastardized for uh, contemporary usage. <laughs> I say contemporary, contemporary as if as if the thought is that we are in the past of Star Trek, but we all know, unfortunately now. That we are not in Star in Star Trek's past because there should be more wars happening. I feel like I feel like had our most recent <laughs> presidential election gone the other way, that we would that we could more solidly mm -hmm. say that we were living in in the Star Trek universe. But unfortunately, maybe if we were more lax on the uh, uh, protection of the Capitol after the initial attacks on January sixth. Maybe there would have been another storming of the Capitol on the twentieth. Oh, I'm, that, sure, I'm uh, sure there would have been. Might have caused. Sure, but we're into World War Three. Sure, but we're already too late because the eugenics wars. Well, the eugenics wars happening quietly under our noses without us knowing is a possibility. I think someone mentioned that to me the other day. That maybe, yeah. Maybe the eugenics wars aren't as the common knowledge that in in their present time that that they would be in the yeah. future. So I guess it's possible. Aren't as an explosive of a war? Sure. We don't have like quarantine zones like they had in um, Far Beyond the Stars, for instance. We don't have quarantine zones. What are you talking about? We have quarantine zones. That's true. Everyone's home is a quarantine zone. America is connected to America, and Canada is connect is quarantined to Canada, and that's true. Oz is quarantine to the wizard's territory it sure enough is unless you're a tennis player okay so maybe we are living in but, a past um, Star Trek. they're not quite <laughs> designated you know the way they depict them on on that episode but <laughs> we are quite literally quarantined from each other we are indeed This episode opened out, opened up with a personal log, which I appreciate. Um, it's a personal log of Commander Michael Burnham, 
uh, talking about talking about the Red Angel. She she says that her mother told her that the greatest mysteries come in threes, which are birth, life, and death, past, present, and future, which is where the Red Angel is from. So basically, I guess, outside of time, she does note okay. that because of Saru's advanced vision, they now know that the angel is humanoid and wearing some sort of suit. And uh, the only person who's able to answer the questions is the one person nobody can find. Funny that she should be the one to say that. Of course, we're looking at it uh, on a retrospective of uh, the entire season, though. Sure, sure. Sure. All right. So Burnham's walking the quarters with Pike and talking about the connection to the Red Angel and, and how Spock saw the red, you know, the seven red bursts before before they actually appeared in real life. And they also show that Spock had some sort of mental breakdown. And Pike says that it was probably the Red Angel that that caused him to have the mental breakdown, or the mental breakdown is what allowed him to see the Red Angel. I think that both of them end up being true, just because of the Red Angel it, coming in from. What sense. Well, so so later we learn, of course, that Spock was able to see the Red Angel, was able to communicate with the Red Angel because of his Latakterai. However, I think he was fine before he saw the Red Angel, and the Red Angel like did a mind meld with him, and the mind meld is what like jumbled up his brain. So that Balkan dyslexia. Yeah. So at one point, Spock is reviewing the whole thing with Michael Burnham. He mind melts with her. This is probably a couple episodes later, and shows her what happened. You know, at the psychiatric institute, one of the questions that he asks along that little journey is, "Why is it that I can remember tomorrow?" Uh huh. Which I, I just think it's a really interesting line because that's that's basically flipping past and future in the way that like dyslexia would would do that if it were a temporal malady. Yeah, that sort of makes sense. Uh, so Spock escaped, apparently, from the psychiatric unit on Starbase 5, and his shuttle disappeared in the Mutara sector. I love the references that we do in Discovery, um, because the Mutara sector, if I'm not mistaken, what is a reference to The Wrath of Khan, Part 2, uh, Star Trek 2, right? With The Wrath of okay. Khan? that's for the eventual, uh, destruction of the Genesis planet happens yes, there's creates like, the Mutara Nebula. Exactly that. So there's like this ring planet in the Mutara sector that, you know, blops. Um, so this is like it's like 20 years before uh, Star Trek II. And um, Spock shuttle has disappeared in that same sector, which is where the Genesis planet was created. So I do I do like the reference. I like being placed right. in, in not only time, but space. Like knowing exactly kind of where we are. They do a lot of Referencing yeah. back and forth on, you know, this place, this is in this place, and this is in this place. I really appreciate Well, the... during the landing scene, when Michael Burnham is landing in a Vulcan city to meet with her mother, and the shuttle is go coming down, and she's showing on screen, she's experiencing turbulence, mild tur turbulence, and she probably just barely notices it. But, you know, you never see them experience turbulence in a, in a shuttle landing unless there's like a major thing going on, you know, and sure. the shuttle is blowing up and crash landing. And I just thought, oh, that's a nice little detail. She's having a nice, smooth, regular landing. She's not crashing or anything, but she's experiencing turbulence. Yeah. turbulence. A little bit of realism to the show, which is great. Yeah, whereas everything else has always been, you know, steady cam and no movement and you know, if they were taking off, they might raise the stage or, or 
you know, lower the camera into the stage a little bit to show uplifting movement, but they, yeah. I mean, and of course, most of the time in shuttles in space, they're flying through space and there's no turbulence in space, sure. but through atmosphere, which I guess makes a little bit more sense. And they don't generally fly through atmosphere in the show, except for when they're crashing out of the plane. Are reviewing the readings from the red burst. It's the same tachyon spike discovery found during their uh, expedition to the asteroid um, where we found Jet Reno. And he's wondering what sort of power source could generate that kind of tachyon particles. And Tilly says, "Well, I don't think it's probably been invented yet." And Pike tells her, "Well, go figure out what what it was beyond that. It was freaking amazing to deliver such a huge amount of power. Five thousand parts for cubic micron. You don't really see that outside of a supernova." So okay. huge, huge amounts of power being generated. But I'm going to disagree with you don't really see them outside of a supernova because we are running antimatter and matter through dilithium crystals, right? So we probably see 5,000 parts per cubic micron in the warp core. Perhaps. Although you could take that as an implication that they don't. Yeah, I guess so. So these, I mean, well, these are tachyon particles, though. So I guess really tachyon particles are generated only by time movement or something i i really i i know that tachyons are supposed to be one of the particles that make up matter so they're those things that are even smaller than atoms sure subatomic particles mm -hmm. and you can and today i don't know if we've discovered them today but today they're one of those particles that that you can only see by smashing out together in the uh um super collider uh, super collider yeah because mm -hmm. i think they're a little bit like uh the god particle so it's the higgs boson which i've actually heard i've heard of the higgs boson before oh, yeah, that, yeah so that would be the particle that gives mass to matter yes okay so it's, a, it's the particle that they've been looking for that kind of connects quantum level with our our macro level sure so the higgs boson is the fundamental part particle associated with the higgs field which is a field that gives mass to other fundamental particles such as electrons and quarks uh, a particle's yep. mass determines how much it resists changing its speed or position when it encounters a force um not all fundamental particles have mass so the Higgs field would be what provides the the mass to it, it's what gives else. one proton one amount uh, yeah so that's a it's a pretty good vague vague description that I don't think has helped anyone <laughs> including myself which is great uh this is the episode where uh where Ash Tyler decides to pull rank on Captain Pike he asks Pike where where uh, where where Burnham is and Pike says, well, she's on she's on like personal leave. So Tyler says, well, if it has anything to do with Spock, you guys tell me. And then he tosses him his Section 31 badge. Uh, bold move there, buddy. People keep bucking on uh people keep bucking on uh on this this Pike guy. Um Saru, I think, almost knocked him flat the other the other day. And uh this Klingon guy, uh he's uh he's bucking at Pike like, hey buddy, I I I owe you owe me more than I owe you. <laughs> Kind of what he what he um, kind of puts the, <laughs> lays the table as. Um, so Pike is like, "Hey, listen, buddy, the chair outranks the badge." <laughs> uh huh. 
Uh, so this is this is so all of that happens right when the uh, just then is just then. Wait, it was the, what's that? What's that Carrie Bradshaw phrase? It's like it was then that I knew. I don't know. You probably not much of a Sex in the City watcher. Mm-hmm. So anyway, this whole temporal this whole temporal thing pops up in right in front of them, like a rift in space time appears. And uh, although Pike orders full reverse to put enough distance for them, they also load their probe into a shuttlecraft. They, which I think is was a mistake, because when uh, when Pike and uh, Tyler get to the uh, to the distortion and they drop their uh, drop their probe in, the probe comes right back as something else with a brain that's like after them. I really, really enjoyed mm-hmm. all of the temporal mechanics play that they did in this little scene, um, and the echoes of, of future and past going back and forth, and uh, you know, us yeah. seeing that Pike is definitely going to be shooting at somebody, but not knowing exactly who it is. Although the suggestion is that it's like a sort of conflagration between he and Pike. Yeah, that point where they launch the probe into the uh, wormhole, black holey kind of special effect there. Yeah, it's a temporal, it's a temporal anomaly. Oh, uh, a temporal anomaly. Okay. Yeah. There's another line that I, I found really amusing between Tyler and uh, Pike, is that uh, at one point Tyler says, <laughs> Tyler says something about not being able to get rid of folk, and Pike is like, "Yeah, I know how that feels," because Pike also okay get rid of folk because he's standing there. I do like the resolution to this because I. It was one of those resolutions I didn't quite expect. Although I don't know if it's Deus Ex Machina, Machina or whether it's like a, like just a convenient plot point. But uh, Stamets, of course, is unable to uh, sort of exist outside of regular time somehow because of the spore thing. So he's he's able to come aboard the shuttle and help them out and bring you know bring them back to discovery. Now it doesn't go simply. It's not like he just pops in there and pulls them back. It's it it takes quite some doing, and then of course it takes some some Leland stuff to um to uh, to come in and save them. But shuttle does end up exploding. It takes pro- it takes probe with it. And at the same time, Arium, uh, I think is is infected by that future stuff from the shuttle. So that future stuff from the future stuff from the shuttle, I guess is we don't know at the time, but I guess that's control uh, coming back, and I guess trying to do exactly what it did, you know, infect something mm-hmm. with it with its with itself, so that it can, uh, you know, take over, get rid of all organic life, et cetera, et cetera. Yep, and continue to exist. Yeah. Uh, the other part is that um, Burnham, she's gotten Spock from Vulcan and somehow is convinced to take him to Section 31 by Sarek of all people. But now uh, Giorgio comes to her and lets her know, hey, listen, uh, they're going to break his brain. They're going to kill him. So you got to get him out of here. And of all people, she really helps. She's very instrumental in getting Burnham to get Spock off of the ship. They sort of pull the same ploy that Laurel and Cornwell did. When it's like okay, you encounter each other in the corridor, and you're like, okay, quick, pretend to fight me, and then and then and then you'll beat me, and then we'll I'll escape. It's sort of like the same thing they just did, I guess mm. last season, like same move, right? But it works. They get Spock back. They bring bring him over to Discovery, and we're ready to uh, to to see what's gonna gonna go on next and what's gonna solve the puzzle of the Red Angel. 
one thing that I, uh, as, as a general geek fan, noticed is when, um, is it, did you say her name's Arian? Arium. Arium? Yes. When she gets infected with the control virus, uh, her they zoom right in on her iris to show that she's infected. And her iris or something makes this symbol. And to me, it's that brilliant. symbol that it makes in her eye it is, yes. Although Brittany X is green, if I'm not mistaken. Well, I mean, it can be any color it needs to be, but I was just wondering if uh, any of our other audience have had thought that or noticed that when they saw that as well, or if you, you seeing it again and comparing it to images you may have seen in the old uh, Superman animated series or images that might have been sent to you or whatever, do you, do you yeah, so totally see after, the same connection yeah, that I so do? After you mentioned it, once I rewatched, I absolutely 100% saw Brainiac it, like that the, this Brainiac symbol in her eye like I, I don't think I recognized it at first but you know going into it with the idea of uh-huh. you know this might be that it clicked in like 100% uh-huh. like, yeah that's fully Brainiac there's no 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 bones about it so I'm, I'm guessing and I don't know if they were trying happened. to suddenly you, you think it's unrelated? No, I think it's like a tip of the hat. A tip of the hat? Okay. Mm-hmm. So, like, maybe a little bit of uh, for- s- subtle foreshadowing to those that are in the know and watching a little bit more closely than other people are. Well, in the animated series, he's going around the universe collecting his, all the data. He wants to collect all the data, but as soon as he collects it, he erases the original so nobody else can have more data than he can have. Oh. So basically, when he collected the data that was everything that had to do with Krypton, he destroyed Krypton, the oh, I see. planet that Superman comes from. And he, he always takes one sample of the dominant life form on that planet and in this case he took the city of Kandor from Krypton and that's where you get the bottle city of Kandor that Superman later rescues from Brainiac's ship and he just has a small little sample of, of Krypton to keep but he destroys the rest of Krypton. I was sitting here thinking about like you know last time I mentioned uh, a couple quotes I think that were that were notable from the episode I can't say that I have Notable quotes from the. I mean, there was there, there's been the couple that I mentioned, which are like, you know, uh, Pike clapping back at Tyler. Um, the freaking amazing quote from uh, from Tilly, which which is a, a, an interesting change from her from her potty mouthedness. Potty mouthedness. Yeah. What What's the quote then? Uh, I don't recall specifically, but she said something about something being freaking amazing. And, oh, okay. And then she apologizes and says, "You know, I'm sorry. You know, you know how I get around violations of causality. Plus, you said I shouldn't curse when I was on duty." <laughs> um, I don't remember what's the uh, what's the resolution, but I think we're pretty much. I think I pretty much described the resolution. Like we we got Spock, we figured out the number sequence, um, and we know that we're, that we're now going to uh, a number sequence set. Spock had remembered in a dyslexic way, uh, I guess eight four one nine four seven, but it's actually 
749148, which are the coordinates to the planet Talos 4. So at the end of the episode, Burnham orders the ship so the computer to set course and engage at maximum warp. So that's uh, so Burnham and Spock heading out to Talos 4, which is uh, an invisible place. Like, punishable by death, apparently. Well, has Pike already escaped from them the first time? Yes. Yeah, he's already been there once. Okay. So basically the episode The Cage okay. has happened, but the episode The Menagerie has not happened. Uh -huh. Sometimes governments take a little while to enact things. So could it be that the suggestion of the capital punishment of visiting Talos Four is not yet fully written into law yet? Uh, it could be. Like, you know, maybe it's reached the Federation Council, Senate, House, whatever, but it hasn't passed the next body of its government. That could be the case. Could very well be the case. I mean, they certainly don't go and execute, every, you know, the the Enterprise or the uh, Discovery for being to tell us for after. No, I know. I they totally don't. Done, so. I totally don't understand that because they absolutely should have. Wouldn't that be interesting? You know, the intro sequence sort of changes like subtly from time to time. This is the first time where instead of seeing the Red Angel as like some like some blurry figure, this is the first time that we can see clearly mm -hmm. that it's a piece of technology with a suit. I don't know if you noticed that. The opening sequence with the plans and the yellow sure. yeah, yeah, background. Yeah, yeah. And yeah so pencil sketches of the discovery. Absolutely. And so the episode before this, we, we just saw a blur. It wasn't really clear that it was a suit. But then this mm. episode in the opening sequence, we definitely see that it's a suit, which sort of goes on the idea that we learned from Saru that it's a piece of technology. Um, also, Wilson Cruz is not listed as a yeah. cast member in this episode, and he's not in the episode at all. Um, also, this is the first time we see, uh, we actually see Spock. We, we heard him as a voiceover in Brother and as a voiceover in New Eden, the first two episodes of the season, but we, mm -hmm. it's the first time actually seeing him. So from episode to episode, as they need to, they change even the credits at the beginning yeah. of who's in the episode. Yeah, they change the opening credits very frequently, actually. There's actually only a few a few people listed um, in that opening credits. So the opening credits include uh, Burnham, Saru, Stamets, Tilly, and Tyler, and Pike. Okay. And of course, they do the special guest star is uh, mm -hmm. Philip Jojo. You know, Michelle Yeoh is Philip Jojo, but we don't we don't see like um, yeah uh, you know James Frain or Mia Kirshner or you know Emily Couts or Patrick Quachtoon or Oyan Oladejo or like anybody else that we always see. So uh, I don't know about you, but that's all I got for this episode. Uh, what's your What's your rating on a on a, okay. on a one to one to ten scale? I always enjoy plots with uh, timey wimey elements to them. Yeah, me too. As a kid, I always found it perplexing why, especially people within the show, once they realize they're in a time travel experience, they always talk about why oh, I hate time travel so much, and I'm like, why? It's not that confusing. You know, um, and, uh, I'm gonna place a nugget right here. I, I enjoyed that nugget. Is the um, the list of Section 31 related episodes across all of Star Trek? So Enterprise has four. Uh, Deep Space Nine has okay. three. 
there's one movie that mentions them and then discovery has uh eight eight episodes related to uh to section 31. i'm sorry eight no i'm lying four eight twelve twelve episodes related to uh to section 31. so nearly half a season's well a Which full season's worth of, uh into darkness oh Star Trek well that doesn't count because of the universal shift i guess yeah. Okay. I mean, so, if we're going, if we're counting, since all the TV shows take place in what fandom calls the prime universe, yeah, then Into Darkness doesn't count. Yeah, doesn't mention. Fair. I mean, acknowledge that it's still Star Trek, and I'm not going to be like uh, a nerdy prude and say, "Oh, it didn't happen. It doesn't exist." I. I kind of like and and understand and and accept an alternate universe. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with that to me. Um, it opens up the ability to tell all sorts of stories. Sure, sure. Funny thing, they decide to tell basically um, the same type of stories. I don't know why they had to create another universe to create the same type of stories, but okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, it, within the yeah, if you're counting all the quote appearances of um, Section Thirty One within all of Star Trek, an exterior perspective of somebody watching the show, I yeah, I guess in that that perspective, it would count. But um, yeah, I. That's just my two cents on that. Okay. So you got a rating yet? I'm gonna give it a seven. <laughs> um. Well, I I enjoyed the mystery of this show. The the mystery of time travel, how to fix things. The mystery of well, what is going through Spock's mind? What is this number? I enjoyed the fact that we got some glimpses into Michael and Spock's time together as children, and and you know getting to know each other. I might, you know, I mean, I, maybe I'm too much of a softy, but I might give it a an eight or a nine. Hey, that's cool. I, I'm good with that. Those are good too. Okay. I thought I thought this returning probe looked a little bit matrixy, and then didn't it though? The it was exactly break, yeah. The the little piece that breaks off and goes into the ship and takes over the controls uh, reminded me of something I've seen in the comic books. <laughs> Again with Brainiac, which is That's ironic true. because Brainiac is ultimately Warner Brothers, and this is ultimately Steve's Paramount. Huh, interesting. Yeah, it's a Viacom, it's a Viacom property. All right, so listen, I think that's all I have for you today. Unless you have anything else, I think we can uh, okay. draw to a close, and uh, we'll thank our lovely sponsors. Uh, <laughs> oh wait, we don't, we don't have. So I guess just uh, you guys have a great have a great week, and uh, and uh, you know. Well, in, in. oh please wait, go ahead. Never mind. Oh, I guess we save that one that little nugget for next time, huh? Yeah, we'll save that nugget for next time. I haven't bounced it off of here yet. Okay, all right. Say goodnight, Earl. Support the continued making of this show through Patreon.com. 
Let's Talk About Treks is a production of Anodyne Relay supported by the Star Trek fan community of listeners like you. We review the copyrighted works of Paramount CBS's Star Trek team, of whom no copyright infringement is intended. You can reach us via email at email at letstalkabouttreks.com. You can leave us a message at area code 202-804-6312. Our producer is David Moody, and our writers, Jack and Earl, are on Twitter as at Trekstalkers, and would greatly appreciate the obligatory like and subscribe from wherever you're listening now. We record on Lenovo computers with Zoom, mix with NCH Mixpad, and master with Kako 3Bird. Our intro, outro, and interstitial musics feature samples from Awakening by Waterboy from Pixabay.